0: I think those, some people might call them soft skills, non-clinical knowledge and experience are actually what I probably learned more of in vet school than anything else, to be honest, that still helped me today.
1: Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by a fellow graduate of the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies, my alma mater, Dr. Sarah Wolfe. Sarah is a small animal practitioner who has found her niche in helping veterinarians and veterinary practices better communicate with their clients. As she puts it, client relationships are the cornerstone of vet care, and this is something that she puts front and center every single day at work. In this episode, we take a walk down memory lane as we recount our experiences of studying at the Dick Vet and how our time there better prepared us to become the veterinarians we are today. I had so much fun recording this episode. We honestly had too many stories to even put in the episode, so I apologize you won't get to hear as much about Scotland, but it was honestly just intensely funny, so let's jump into it. This is going to be a fun walk down memory lane, but Dr. Sarah Wolf, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast I can't remember. Well, I can remember, but it's been a wee while since I have interviewed a fellow DickVet alumni. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It is great to be here. I
0: know I feel like I don't get to speak with as many DickVet alums as I used to for lots of reasons. So it's nice to get to talk to somebody else who's been there in more recent memory than me. I'm starting to get to be a, a middle vet not a young vet anymore or an old time It's like in that middle zone these
1: people right right and for people yeah. that are kind of confused so like I just started listening to this podcast and they're talking about dick vets like what's going on so we both graduated <laughs> from the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies in Edinburgh Scotland it is one of two vet schools in Scotland that are also AVMA accredited actually just period. Vet schools, period, right? (laughs) At this point. Yep. So Dr. Sarah Wolf, you graduated around 2011. I graduated uh, literally just a few years ago here. So we're in different stages of being veterinarians and just life stages in general. But before we were recording, we were just kind of shooting the breeze about memories of certain professors and location of the campus. So we're going to take you a trip down our memory lane. It's going to be hopefully not full of too many hairbrain schemes, <laughs> but <laughs> as you hear our nervous laughter, oh my gosh, yeah. where are we going with this? <laughs> but we just wanted to talk a bit about the school. We wanted to talk about that big question that we're always getting from students of, did vet school prepare you or not prepare you for life? I feel like that's something that, I, at least even for me, as a, when I was a pre-vet or a vet student, I was so worried about. And of course, now that I'm in this stage of being a veterinarian, I'm like, all right, child, sit down, I got the story to tell you, <laughs> kind of thing.
0: That's so funny, because before I went to vet school, I was just like, oh, well, you get into vet school, and then it's smooth sailing. They teach you the things you That's need to it. know, then you go and do it, and then you're a vet, and voila. And then I got to vet school, and I was like, oh, oh, there's a lot involved here. <laughs> I think I yes. just sort of <laughs> put the blinders on. I was like, you just get into vet school, and then you're golden. And then
1: oh it turns gosh. out there's a lot of work in the middle there you have to do. Just a little bit. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff that goes in between that sandwich there um, of yeah, starting and finishing I, uh, vet school. I'd ignored the middle of the sandwich prior to being there, <laughs> <So it> surprised <laughs> me a little. <laughs> oh my gosh! So tell us a little bit. Like, let's go back in time. So you started vet school, and like, had you visited the campus before you actually like went to vet school? Because I didn't. I went sight unseen, for better or for worse.
0: I had not. I had been in Edinburgh before. My husband laughs, our family are all kind of Anglophiles, my parents and I, and I love the UK. So I had been to the UK before I had applied. That said, I also tend to do lots of stuff sight unseen, just say like, that sounds amazing, I want to try it. And so for me, it's not totally out of character to do that. But I applied and, you know, I had not actually applied to any US schools, I only applied to um, a couple of overseas schools, and got into Edinburgh and and had a total panic attack about this is a terrible idea. What am I doing? (laughs) And had a wonderful advisor who just told me, you know, don't think, jump, do it. It's going to be great. And he was totally right. It was a fabulous
1: decision. I'm so glad I did it. I can echo so much of that. The whole like, okay, I'm going to go. And then literally the packing process to get to Scotland, I have like a middle life crisis. I was like, what am I doing? This is a terrible decision. Oh my gosh, I don't even know what to pack. And I just remember like sitting there with my suitcase open and my mom had to come through the door and she's like, you doing okay? I was like, ah, no. <laughs> and a couple of my yeah, friends when have I, had similar experiences. When I flew over
0: it's going to like show my age a little bit but the summer i flew over was the summer terminal 5 opened in heathrow which oh. is this is like a very niche piece of information that only old middle-aged people <laughs> in the uk probably know but Heathrow Airport in London had expanded, whatever. They opened this new terminal. I was going to have to fly through it. And like everyone's bags were getting sent to Portugal by accident. I just remember Portugal and just being terrified that everything I owned was going to end up in Portugal and not in the UK. And I was so panicked and stressed and moving across the world. And I just remember being in the airport trying to check in with all my bags and just like completely panicking (laughs) as an adult. Oh, I can't. And uh, I feel like it got better from there. But I just, I remember just having this total meltdown that it was all going to be a disaster. And of course mm. it wasn't. But,
1: um, oh my gosh. I'm sure
0: everyone has something like that with vet school. We just had this little extra piece of the puzzle of moving so far away to focus our stress on, I guess.
1: Oh my gosh. That would have sent me not over the edge, but that would have really stressed me out. I know. So I didn't have to fly through Heathrow when I first moved over there. I was able to go directly in Edinburgh, which was very, very nice. However, before you go to school in vet school and are declaring that you're going to be living there, you have to go through a lot of documentation and getting certain like cards so that you can present that to be like, I live here, but I'm from America type of thing. And uh, apparently I was missing a little piece of paper and I oh, did not know that I was missing said piece of paper until I was in the country and sitting at immigration <gasps> oh, no. stressed out and I had to use like international in Edinburgh. oh gosh I had use like international minutes on my mom's phone who would come with me thank you mom for coming to Scotland with me to move I know she's listening to this and I had to like log in, and get this thing, and, like, show the poor guy. This is, like, 6 a.m. also, and I am jet-lagged to heck. And I'm just like, look at the thing! It's here! I promise! I'm supposed to be here. And he's like, mm, yep, that's good. You can go through. And I was like, that's it? That's all you needed? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, so I don't know, experience. maybe,
0: I feel like maybe if I now spoke with other people who went to schools here in the U.S., they'd probably all have some sort of similar, like, right before school started, kind of meltdown thing. And maybe just all of us were able to pin it on that part of the process for ourselves.
1: (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) But, oh my gosh, yeah, the moving process to a new country to go to vet school is not easy, but it is worth it. So that's where we're all going with this, that it was still worth it. You said it was the best four years of your life, uh, or four years to spend in Edinburgh. For me, it definitely was. I think about going back almost every single day, and everyone is always asking me, when are you going back to Scotland? And of course, I have to tell them, I don't know, but at some point I will. But (laughs) when you got there, and it was a very similar experience for me, you kind of find that... So the big ivory, fancy ivory tower, the very beautiful Scottish background that's been painted for us, is a bit of a facade. <laughs> yeah, it
0: was and, um, uh, Yeah, it was a culture shock for sure between the education systems. And that's one thing I think people – I was not prepared for adequately. And I don't know that there's a way to prepare anyone. It almost was kind of like right before I became a mom. You know, you'd talk to moms and they'd be like, uh, it'll be fine. You know, and then afterwards, you're like, yeah, there's no way you can, like, sum up the advice you need to be able to get through becoming a mom, you know? You're just going to have to kind of live it. And I feel like that was the same for me with vet school. And it might have been that case anywhere, but in particular, the British education system is a bit different than the U.S. system in lots of small and big ways. And that just added a layer of cultural difference that I had to adapt to. And I think it was a great experience to have to adapt to that because it's very similar to joining a new practice, you know, or moving to a new state to work, or if you're someone who switches from small to large animal or vice versa, you know, there's going to be cultural changes and having experience of adapting to that and figuring out what that means and doing it on your own is actually, ultimately a very empowering experience. But at the time, it feels very stressful and it can be really exhausting. And that was something that I definitely wasn't prepared for that caught me a bit off guard in the moment.
1: And that's something that a lot of my classmates or even I can echo is that the difference is that partly that you're talking about is so in the US, like the grading system is different. Like the number that you need to get on a test is different than what you need to get in the UK. Well, there's also like I guess this is similar for US or UK, but how you study for vet school is dramatically different from how you needed to study in undergrad and kind of learning that flexibility is very applicable to what life and real well <laughs> life and practice is like you need to be very flexible you need to figure out what you need to do in each individual scenario but there's also just how we did exams is different when you do exams what the exams are on because i know in the us and this is something that i was really grateful for i preferred it done the uk way rather than the us way was that at the it was just like the end of the semester you just had a big old honking exam That was it. Covered everything that you'd learned. And for some people, they're like, that is super stressful. How do you learn all of it? And again, it kind of goes back into that studying and how do you, learning about yourself, learning how do I personally study best? Because it's going to be different than all 30 of your classmates that are in the GEP program anyway. So figuring out how you study best. And then also just how do you add that consistency throughout the semester, because you can't just wait until the very end to like suddenly dump it all and be like, I'm going to learn it all in five seconds. Like that doesn't work, even though you get a study week. So in that way, I I, again, I feel like there was so much application to even though it's like this is vet school and I'm studying, but it had application to how I now take care of myself as a veterinarian. And of course, at the time, you're like, this is stupid. This is stressful. This is not going to help me. And now looking back on it, I'm like, you know what? I think that that made me a better veterinarian, being forced to adapt in that way.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, we talked about a little bit before we started recording, but there's also a certain level of almost disorganization or what I interpreted as disorganization at the time in the system there. And part of it is that when I went through, it was the second year that they were running a graduate entry program. So for people who don't know, in the UK, veterinary school is an undergraduate degree. It's a longer undergraduate degree than a typical one. And it's jam-packed, and it is serious hard work, and they do a really, really good job of consolidating that information appropriately but Edinburgh began a program for students who already had an undergraduate degree to come in and do it in a more traditional four years. And so when I went through, it was the second year of that program. And understandably, they were still kind of figuring out exactly the best way to adapt that information into a slightly different timeline and incorporate these graduate students into the full student body and where that could work. So we were a little bit guinea pigs. And I feel like that's probably how any good program continues to evolve is by continuing to change things as things move on and find what works and what doesn't work. Personally, I found that really hard because I'm a process person. So I like to know what's going to happen and what are the steps and what do I need to do? And then what can I expect at the end of it? And when that gets disrupted, I find that hard to deal with. And that's why I like creating systems because they make me very happy as a person. <laughs> but... When I graduated and got into practice and was like, oh, this is just a free for all, you know, and you get to practices and you realize there isn't a system here or no one here knows what's going on or this case is nothing like a case I've seen before. Having all of that experience of improvising and figuring things out and succeeding in doing that really came home as this wonderful skill to build on in clinical practice, even though we weren't practicing that clinically in vet school, it might be around A late announcement on what's going to be on the test, you know, and you realize you have to kind of scramble to adjust your study schedule, things like that, that at the time seemed kind of crazy, you know, but then later on, like, okay, great, it's not stressful for me to make last minute adjustments to what I'm doing, because I've been practicing doing that. And I've been able to do just fine doing that. So I'm not gonna let that be stressful to me this afternoon, when this emergency walks in, you know, I think those Some people might call them soft skills, non-clinical knowledge and experience are actually what I probably learned more of in vet school than anything else, to be honest, that still helped me today.
1: And there's so much beauty in everything that you just said and how I really want to break this down into a few more layers because, yes, there is the aspect of, okay, they were learning how to do that new program, how to put it all together, how it's going to fit into the grander scheme of things. Was it ideal? No, but you found a positive out of it, which has now impacted your career. You now have like a side career, which is now your main career (laughs) in working on systems and communication and organization. So that's definitely a little bit more of a niche for you. And then, but just like breaking it down into these deeper layers, it's like what, and and before we were recording, you put it beautifully. So I'll let you put the words to it, but it's like, what you learn about vet school, yes, there is the nitty-gritty of clinical stuff of here's this medicine, here's how it works, here's how this body system works, here's how everything works together, but what you're really learning is more about who you are as a person. So I'll let you kind of put that into better words. I feel like I jumbled it up a bit. I don't know if I do be much better, but yeah, it's, for me, I think what I learned is
0: that, and If I take it back a few steps, my final year of undergraduate, I had this just absolute genius mentor who was a veterinarian who worked in the research labs there and had very kindly let me pester him into giving me a job so that I could have some research on my CV before applying to vet school. And in retrospect, I think I just badgered him until I became his research assistant. But he then was just so kind to me and he's such a smart guy and I think he's like triple boarded. And he finally told me right before I left for vet school, it's like, you're not going to learn how to be a vet in vet school. You're going to learn where to find the answers while you're in vet school. And then when you're a vet, you'll take that knowledge and you'll find what you need. That I think is probably the best advice I got before going to vet school. Just try to take that pressure off of myself that I don't need to come out of vet school ready to do absolutely everything and know absolutely everything. I need to come out of here ready to do the work of that for the rest of my career. And I have found so much kind of stress relief in that approach to being a vet that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be constantly trying to learn more and and find more resources and more support. And I feel like the entire experience of vet school just compounded that, that You know, we didn't track at Edinburgh, unlike a lot of U.S. schools. So when we graduate, we'd put equal time into equine, large animal, small animal. There's a really heavy focus on exotics at Edinburgh as well. So we got to do a lot of that, too. And, you know, when you have that sort of wide base of knowledge, it really changes how you approach things. You know, you're not going to come out of vet school knowing every single answer about guinea pigs, but you feel pretty confident that you can figure out what you need to figure out about getting pigs or about sheep or about show goats or whatever the heck thing is in front of you. You know, on my exotics rotation, I weirdly know a lot about lead poisoning in swans. I don't know if you guys got to do yes. with lots of swans. Yes. I think a lot of oh, Edinburgh yeah. grads know a lot about swans. Dear readers, if you <laughs> are interested in swans, it's a great school. And hedgehogs, you know, like, am I ever going to treat a wild swan for lead poisoning? No. But did I learn a whole heck of a lot about how to approach, like, crazy toxicity things and off-the-wall cases? I sure as heck did. And that's what mattered, you know, is that approach that, that I was able to walk away with and that sort of mental headspace for things that has helped me a lot as a clinician.
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many things that you just said and I was like, Oh my gosh, I remember that
0: lecture. (laughs) Remember?
1: Or (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) For listeners who don't know, and please correct me if I'm getting this horribly wrong, as an Anglophile, I will be embarrassed if I'm wrong about this. But so swans technically belong to the Queen. They're not just wildlife, they belong to the Queen. And so you cannot kill a swan. That is a big illegal big problem in the UK. You can't do that. And there are a lot of swans in Edinburgh, in a couple of parks in particular, but all across the UK. And fishermen, if they use lead weights that get down into these waterways, waterfowl eat them, swans eat them, they have a piece of lead in their abdomen, and then they get sick and they get trapped and brought in um, and have to be treated for lead poisoning. So that's actually a pretty frequent occurrence, all things considered. And that is why we know a lot about swans and swan bags and how to find weights in inside? <laughs> I think a swan bag is one lead, of my, my yeah, favorite in case things lead to poisoning.
1: See. <laughs> I know it's like <laughs> they're just like one of these crazy things. Because they walk in, they're like there's a swan in a bag, but its head sticking out. That's just like a police what officer
0: carrying a swan in a bag. Oh my gosh! Yeah, these are going to be another the, day in the Scotland. Most, yeah, odd assortment show notes <laughs> like links to oh swan God. bags and. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. And then also just the hedgehogs because they are like a wild animal and we now have like, there is like hedgehog crossing almost and we're building like little hedgehog houses to protect them. So they're also a very frequent flyer of the exotics unit, which I feel like this is just a really good plug for the exotics unit because yeah, A, I probably had the most fun on my exotics rotation just because of the way that they approach the exotics curriculum and just the fact that we get and exotics curriculum because I think on my week that I was there of course you do a lot of prost feeding of rabbits and guinea pigs and um, placing catheters and rabbit ears and I placed a catheter and a chicken leg and did surgery on a chicken and it was tons of fun and then we had like random meerkats from the I'm allowed to say this um, but we had meerkats from the zoo it's been a few enough years that came through and just other random things, and it's just great. If you want an exotic experience, go to Edinburgh. You're going to get awesome experience. Place
0: to be, it's amazing. And I think you know, one thing that people ask me a lot when they ask about, oh, what was the UK system like? Why did you go overseas? For me, I didn't know exactly what part of vet medicine I wanted to go into. When I look back now in hindsight's 2020, I'm like, well, obviously this is exactly what you would do. But at the time, I was like, it's all amazing. You know, I want to do it all. And so I loved the idea of not tracking and getting to learn more. And even though I ended up in small animal practice on sort of the white glove end of the spectrum, having those experiences was so beneficial because, you know, I've never treated a neonate kitten. Who needs an intraosseous catheter? That hasn't come up. I've been doing this for 20 years in the field and I've never had to do that. But if I had to, it would be nerve wracking. I would need support, but I feel like I could do it because of how Edinburgh approached so many of those things where, you know, you haven't done this, you haven't seen this, you might not ever see this again in your whole career. but. How do you learn this? How do you get resources? How do you get that support so that when things come up that you're not prepared for, you can improvise and figure out how to move forward? And that is a skill set that I am forever grateful to have gotten, you know, then and then in my early career too.
2: Now just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at vetex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of That Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo.
1: I feel like I can piggyback off of your comment from your mentor in that I also had a mentor going into vet school who I think he was just also trying to get me to shut up about me worrying about if I was going to be prepared enough as a result of going to vet school. And he's like, you know what? When you graduate vet school, you will know enough information and have enough skills in order to survive. Like that is what vet school is for. It's everything you do after that moment that will prepare you and turn you into the veterinarian you are meant to become. And I had to sit back and be like, oh, okay, (laughs) like take that in for a moment. And that has been my piece of advice to uh, students whenever they're asking me the very same question is I'm like, you know what? You're not going to know everything. And just like you said, like you're not going to be perfect. You don't have to be. There's no way to be perfect. And Keeping that front and center changes how you approach your time in vet school. It allows you to have so much more freedom in what you're learning and also just general like enjoying life in vet school. Like it's going to be four stinking hard years. You are going to want to cry at times. You may actually cry at times. That is okay, speaking from experience, but many, many, <laughs> and many, many tears times. were shed over those four years. <laughs> And totally many, normal. many tears. <laughs> <laughs> But just learning how you take care of yourself, like what do you need to fill your cup? Like actually taking time to do social events. Like there's so many things that you can do at Edinburgh and any vet school where you are able to get outside of your circle of vet school friends as much as we love them. Taking the time to be away from them is healthy. It's good for you. And just really like if you if you wanna go to Edinburgh, you get to go hiking, you get to go traveling. The UK is right There, Europe is just a flight away. There's so many good things to be said about the benefits of going somewhere new in order to study vet school. Because, like, for me, I'm like, when else was I going to have the opportunity to just live in another country and explore and experience before I become a veterinarian? Like, when else was I going to do that? Never. So, I am also really, really glad that I took that opportunity. It was scary as heck but i look back on those four years with so much fondness like my heart just gets so happy when i think about my time in scotland there certainly were like there's vet school drama no matter where you go like i'm just gonna oh, yeah. put that out there so
0: much drama you can't take but... that type a people challenge them put them in a building together and then expect there not to be some sparks yeah. in drama right like that's oh just... my gosh
1: You're setting yourself up for there. Absolutely. Uh, And all these schools that have like satellite campuses like Edinburgh does, now you've just taken all those type A people and separated them from the general population and put them in a pressure cooker. That turns out great. (laughs) 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 Oh, we have so many stories that go behind that statement. (laughs) It's so funny. And I love,
0: I love hearing about different people's vet school experiences because you know, there's so many different norms. And I think this is one thing I really like about vet practices in general also. I think a lot of us, because we're type A people, because we like to be right, we take, you know, learning and doing things well to the extreme sometimes. We tend to think like, great, we figured out the way it's supposed to happen or our practice is doing it the way it's supposed to happen. And in an extreme and big sense, people say, oh, my country's doing things the way it's supposed to be done. And getting out of that bubble into a different country, into a different system, coming back from that again, you know, the same things might have to happen, but there are lots of different ways to do it and be doing it right or doing it well. And getting that sort of lived experience of doing things completely differently, but still well and still succeeding at them was such a great personal experience. But then when you look at different practices, it's sort of microcosms of the same thing over and over again that, every practice has a slightly different version of pro sal or whatever they're doing or of scheduling or how long their appointments are. Are they doing flex scheduling? Probably everyone is to some extent, right? But there's all these different ways to do it and they can all work so well. And that's true in vet school systems too. You know, it's just across our whole industry, Mm -hmm. there are all these different approaches. And to me, that's part of the magic of our industry is that you can step in and out of these different approaches and pick the parts that you like and Learn from the parts that are challenging to you and sort of slowly build yourself towards your own reality that is what you want it to be.
1: That is a really good way to put it. And as you were talking about it and just the differences between like different countries, I got the opportunity to be a part of the BVA when I was over there, which is the British Veterinary Association. And I was basically like a student liaison to sit in on some of their committees. And I was like, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing here. But apparently, I was selected for this job where I volunteered and then I was the only applicant. So they selected me anyway. <laughs> and I was like, this makes complete sense to have an American on this board. But here we <laughs> yep. are. But as a result, I got to learn so much about the challenges that they were facing as a country, as that part of their profession. And I was able to add my own voice to it. Like I got to actually say things in this meeting and be a part of change, which was really empowering and really kind of cool as a vet student. And then at the same time, I was a part of Savma, which is a Student American Veterinary Medical Association, and I got to help enact change on that side of things as well. So I feel From the sense of what I was able to learn from studying abroad and transitioning that into my daily career, it really broadened my horizons, for lack of a better cliche. And I was able to take everything that I've learned, whether or not it was like specific skills, but that has all translated over to how I care for my team, how do I talk to my clients, how I interact with the rest of the profession. And it's all for the better as a result of the opportunities that were presented to me as a student in Edinburgh and um, what I may do with that. So I guess my like final words for students is if you get this opportunity to go somewhere different and granted, this doesn't mean like you have to go and study outside the United States. If you get to do that, fantastic. But even in your own universities, you are going to learn so much, not just medical, information but information about yourselves and how you communicate with the profession in general if you look for those opportunities they are in front of you so get involved in savma get involved in the vbma get involved in your shelter medicine get involved in the organizations that aren't veterinary related so that you can learn about the community that you will be spending the next four years of your life in there's so much change that you can do in that amount of time. There's so much that so you can learn about yourself in that amount of time. Like, Go ahead and take that opportunity. Don't miss out on it. What? What else would you add to that? I mean, I think
0: my answer always is just run your own race. You know that this is your life and your career in front of you and do the things that you find interesting. You know, there is no right or wrong way to go about doing it. I did my elective rotation at a zoo in the U.S. I had no interest whatsoever in becoming a zoo vet, but an opportunity came up that was a really rare opportunity, and I seized it. And it was insane. Like, I learned we microchipped stingrays. Am I ever going to need to microchip stingrays as a small animal general practice veterinarian? I hope not. I really, truly hope not. But But it was this incredible. I could. I could. I'm one of a select group of people who know how to do that now, I guess. But the things I learned again were all of these lessons that might not be clinical facts, but have informed how I practice in a big way and have had a really lasting impression on my career. Same way, my thesis. So at Edinburgh, we had to do a thesis as part of our degree. And most people did them on clinical things. And I did mine on the education system and the testing system in the UK and within vet schools and whether or not the testing system was differentiating based on knowledge or based on test-taking skills. And that was a really fascinating thing to look at and really helped me get a better understanding of adult learning and how to assess knowledge and skills and You know, whether or not it changed anything in the curriculum there, it's dramatically impacted how I think about talking with my team and assessing what my team's learning from trainings, because I'm much more aware of that now. And that's been really helpful as a clinician, too. So, you know, do what's interesting to you because it will come back around. It will begin to inform parts of your career. And there's so much more to your career than just facts. They're super important. I don't want to say, like, don't learn about kidney function, That that stuff will stick with you forever you do need to know it but you know don't think that only those clinical knowledge-based experiences are going to be beneficial because that's not the case and the work as a clinical veterinarian is so much more than just clinical knowledge that any experience you can have to broaden and deepen your knowledge of communication and teamwork and learning is going to improve your career long term as well. That's my long-winded, do it all, embrace it, you know, enjoy (laughs) life. You know, there's just, there's so much out there and don't put your blinders on, you know, this is your life and those four years are part of your life too and enjoy them and make the most of them.
1: I love that. That is, like, I feel like people could use that as a graduation speech, quite honestly, for people who are going to vet school. So if anyone's looking for any uh, material to use for next year's graduation, um, Dr. Wolf has (laughs) got to that out. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Um, so I kind of, I want to take a few minutes here now that we're, we're rounding up. You've alluded to it a few times and uh, just how vet school kind of, it set you on a track to where you are now in what you're doing with your business that you have started. So tell us a little bit about what was Wolfpack Services and is now basically like drsarahwolf.com.
0: Yeah. So I I started off my vet career well before vet school, working as a kennel assistant and a vet assistant in vet hospitals as a high schooler and then as a pre-vet student. And then through vet school, I actually worked as a vet assistant in the vet school general practice as well. So I've spent a lot of time kind of in the support roles of a practice before becoming a veterinarian. And A anyone who's looking for what to do before becoming a vet, that is the jam. You will learn so much freaking stuff that will help you so much when you're a new grad. I cannot even begin to tell you that is the way to set yourself up for an easy first couple of years in practice for sure. But it also really helped me understand just how much of what we do in practice is malleable and within our control. Everything from registration forms for clients to websites to um, spiels that our front desk give to who starts an appointment who ends an appointment who does a discharge instructions you know all of that is within our control and all of it has a huge impact on the overall experience that our clients have and what they take away from their experience with us above and beyond the medicine that we're practicing and that's just sort of the the nook of vet medicine that's always had its hook in me and I've never been able to get away from nerding out on And several years into practicing, I realized that every single conference I was going to, I was just sitting in the management track rooms and, you know, all the communication rooms. And that's all I wanted to go to. And you had to kind of like drag me to the cardiology lectures. And so (laughs) I kind of finally admitted, like, this is what I'm a nerd about and you can only raise your hand in team meetings so many times and say, oh, we should do this. We should do that. Oh, my gosh. You know what else we could change? Let's change more things before everyone's like, all right, Sarah, could you just sit down and put your hands under your booty and zip up your mouth and stop talking about changing everything in the practice every day? And so finally, like, all right, other people, other people almost want to change things. And I just began reaching out to friends who have vet practices and helping them kind of navigate changing client bases, changing needs, and kind of redoing some of their client facing components within their businesses. And I loved it and have just not looked back. So I do a lot of that. I help practices put together new client experiences. So everything from kind of stepping up the level of service on the phone with front desk teams to kind of reimagining how clients interact with your brand as a whole, just to try and make sure that what you're putting forth and what your clients are kind of perceiving about you is what you want and reflects who you are as a practice so that you're getting the right match between your client base and your practice as well. And I, yeah, I'm a huge nerd for it. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And it's my favorite part of our industry. So I uh, just keep on diving deeper and deeper as much as I can.
1: I think that is so cool. And just seeing the excitement that you have on your face about this. (laughs) And also just like, this is where you were going with veterinary medicine and sure it's not as much like clinical hands on the animal type of thing, but it has such an impact on the animals that we do care for. Because again, it's that interaction from when they are on the website to before they even call to when they make that first appointment to what is every single step of that appointment that makes it successful for them as a client, for us as a team and for that pet for their long-term health. Like, Everything is surrounds that. And I think um, like for you, it was just this like client interactions or client relationships are the cornerstone of vet care. And that hit home for me. I was like, oh, that is so good. And something that I know we're starting to focus a little bit more training on in vet school. So I'm excited to see where that goes in a couple of years.
0: When I went through, I don't know, I will say we did not have none. We had three lectures that we all scoffed at at the time because, oh, how could this be important? You know, Clean I need to learn more about.
1: Mm.
0: And I have to say some of the best advice I got that has helped me the most in practice were in those three 50-minute lectures and... I wish I could go back and slap myself and everyone else in that room upside the head and say, like, listen up. What this wonderful woman at the front of the room is about to tell you is going to have so much more of an impact than you understanding kidney disease staging. I don't mean to keep picking on kidneys. Mm-hmm. I feel like I keep saying things about
1: kidneys. They're great. It, it, they're, they're very, very common organs. organ that we deal with. Um, yeah. but You know,
0: that I don't think I fully appreciated how valuable those few hours were. And I think as we start to incorporate more and more of that into the curriculum and into people's experience, it's going to help in just such a a wider way than people even appreciate right now, you know, just to prepare students and and get them ready for the real life of working in small businesses facing clients, which is very different from the real life of vet school and, and has some different skill sets attached to it. So, but it's also like so fun and so cool and an area where everyone can just, really shine as themselves, I think.
1: Absolutely. And I've been really excited to see how the curriculum, even at the dick Fed, is changing in the Mm -hmm. last couple of years, because I kind of got my fingers in the pie a little bit before I left, just to see where they were going. And again, like for me, we had minimal, I think we like a couple uh, actual classes. And then we had some role play where they had actors Mm -hmm. come in and, and do like that kind of stuff. But I feel there's so much value because a lot of times, like you said, like when we are vet students, we only really care about the medicine. We're like, that is what I'm here for. I only have four years to learn it. Otherwise, I'm going to be a crap vet when I graduate, which we now know is not true. But I feel that there's a lot of value in students hearing from recent grads, people who've been out 10 plus years, say, like, really talk to them personally about the importance of these client interactions and learning these communication skills. And that's where, like, social media has been really important and just like for us to be like, oh my gosh, I wish i learned this sooner. Or this is like the small skills that you can learn. And for you, you did a little bit of that where you had, it was like, you like, instead of saying this, say this type of uh, post that you did. Oh, yes. I love that. That's my favorite. I used so many of those. Honestly, when I was transitioning from vet school. It makes me feel so good. Yeah. Vet school into actual practice. I used a few of them to say, oh, okay. Instead of saying that, I should really transition to say that. And actually I got better compliance for my clients. I had better outcomes for my patients as a result. And it all came down to just switching a few words to how I said things. And granted, because it was early enough in my career, I almost couldn't even tell you which ones they were because I use them every day now.
0: So yeah, I think that's the thing. Once you have a good response to doing and, and that's the thing like in big picture, I think what isn't always appreciated is that when you focus on designing a client experience, and that can be everything from just how I'm going inter- interact with a client for the next five minutes in this room to everything about my brand, right? It doesn't always have to be your whole business changing. It can just be how do I talk to clients in an exam room? When you organize that in a way that's effective, it makes your life and your team's life so much easier and it reduces the workload so much and it just greases the wheels of everything that's going to come after. And for me, I'm interested in it and I like learning more about it because I'm not naturally great at it. I enjoy it, but I am like foot in mouth, awkward potato. My team laughs with me all the time about the ridiculously embarrassing and awkward things that I do in the room. Like I'm, you know, I'm a goof and I mess up all the time and that's how I learn what to do better and think, oh, I cannot say that again. That was a disaster. And so I don't mean to say these things like, oh my gosh, I'm so good at this and everyone else should be so good at it too. But Once you start paying attention to those parts of what you're doing and taking the time to work on them, it's amazing how much easier it makes the rest of your job and how much happier your clients are and you are and your team is. And that makes it, I think, our job just much more sustainable for ourselves. You know, appointment to appointment, day to day, month to month, that we get a lot more out of it, too. And sometimes it's simple as, yeah, just asking a question differently. Who knew? Open questions are real. You should use them. You They're know, the real
1: thing. They keep
0: telling <laughs> us. It turns out that's true.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. You don't really think about it at the time, but even something. One of them came to mind. It was instead of saying, "Do you have any questions?" Instead of saying that, saying, "What questions do you have?" Because it then it opens up in their mind, they're like, oh, I do actually have questions and it's not silly if I do, kind of. it just changes the, the psychology of it. But yeah, now that we've gotten people on the hook to be like, ooh, this communication <laughs> stuff, what is this girl talking about? Where can they find your information? Yes. So
0: I am on Instagram is where I do my social socialing, I guess. Uh, so it's just Dr. Sarah Wolf, D-R-S-A-R-A-H-W-O-L-F-F, two Fs, no E on Instagram and then the same.com is my website and you can find out more about me and about the services that I offer to practices and to individuals and um, speaking gigs that I have and things like that.
1: That's awesome. And I know you're also part of Uncharted. So I can assume you've done a few speaking gigs there.
0: So I did this April, which was fantastic. It was the first in-person conference in a couple of years, which was just so wonderful. So I'd met all these people through Zoom For a couple of years and then got to hug everybody and I just Oh,
1: that's awesome.
0: It was my first like real fun pandemic activity with new people and conferencing and stuff. It was such a blast and I got to speak there, which was wonderful. Just my favorite kind of nerds were all around. So that was really incredible. If people don't know about Uncharted, if you're interested in any of this kind of behind the scenes part of the vet world, check it out. It's a great resource if this is the kind of stuff that gets you going.
1: That's so fun. Not to
0: give them a plug too, but like, they're awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I encourage everyone to go and find Sarah on Instagram. Go and check out her website. Go and say hi. She's really nice. If you have questions about studying at the Dick Vet, go ahead and ask her as well. She's a wealth of information um, about all aspects of it. But we are coming to the end of today's episode. I had honestly too much fun (laughs) recording all of this. And I wish I could have shared all of our stories with the listeners, but I don't think they're ready for some of them. So, uh, what happens maybe we'll in cover vet school, stays in vet school, stays guys. in vet school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll cover a few in the bonus content, but otherwise, y'all, I'll see ya all next time. Bye, bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of that Vet Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the Vedex community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Vet Life.